Hi, I'm Georgia Graham, and I'm a writer, journalist, and retired model. This is Threads of Conversation, a show on Sometimes Radio where I talk to creative people about their life and career, as told by their clothes. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Tennille Trossel, better known by her DJ name, Hi. Born in Western Australia, Hi arrived in London as part of the shoegaze band Dark Bells, before making the move into DJing after throwing down some records at her local bar. Cut to 2018, when she won BBC's Essential Mix of the Year, leading to a ferociously successful 2019, which saw her headlining festivals and club nights around the world, appearing alongside acts like The Black Madonna, Daniel Avery, Giles Peterson and Peggy Goo, and releasing her critically acclaimed EP, Systems Up, Windows Down. Whilst the lockdown has unfortunately put a halt on touring for a while, High's success shows no signs of slowing down. In between work on her upcoming EP, I got her on the line to talk about life both on and off the decks. This is Threads of Conversation. Okay, we are recording. Very exciting. Tanil, welcome to my radio show. Thank you for having me. Um, Let's dive right into it. So, um, what is the first piece that you've picked? So, this is the piece that reminds you of your childhood. Okay. (laughs) This is quite quite a funny thing to go into, actually. But the first piece that I chose, I'm actually... Having having a look at it in a minute. Um, first piece that I chose is a pair of old dungarees, um, and that is because I mean I grew up in uh, like rural Western Australia, so like sort of you know in the very far northwest, and it was like quite hot, sort of outback feeling part of Australia. And um, when I was young, we moved down to the southwest, and my mum took me to my first ever concert. When I was like twelve years old, we went up to Perth. Um, what Perth was your first concert? Alanis Morissette. Nice. Mine Jagged was Little Pill <laughs> tour. Um, <laughs> mine was basically Alanis Morissette of like the next generation, which was uh, Avril Lavigne. She actually she also both... went to in Australia. Yeah. With my dad. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I went with my dad, and we had seated tickets, and I wore my brother's school tie, and I stood on my chair for the entire. No. Gig. Oh my god, that's very, very of its time, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes, both kind of equally angsty female artists, I guess. But um, yeah, she had. I I wore these dungarees to that concert. I will never forget. I have, I used to have these like um, these ones that I wore everywhere, and my mum was so worried about like losing me, and I think she like I remember her like. Set, um, saying that she smelled someone smoking pot in the crowd. <laughs> so exact words, someone smoking pot. Um, and so she like held on to the loop on the side of my eyebrows. Um, so can you talk a bit more, like where did you grow up? Um, because I originally thought you were from Perth, or you mean you are from Perth, but I didn't realise how remote the area um, yeah. that you grew up in is. I'm from about like 21 hours drive north of Perth. Um just a casual road trip. Just a casual, yeah, just a casual drive. Um, I grew up, We, mum and my sisters and I moved down to uh, like two hours south of Perth when, mm. I was, um, when I was quite young. 
And that was when I did all, all my schooling and stuff. So that was in the southwest. So what was it like sort of growing up somewhere so remote? Um, what did you sort of, what were your hobbies? What did you do? How did you get into music? Was um, that a part of your life at that stage? It always was. Like, I was always, like, a really musical kid. Even, like, you know, just always, like, singing around the house. And I was really, um, you know, like, get obsessed with, you know, different singers or different musicians. And um, I didn't start playing. I taught myself when I was, like, 13 years old to play guitar. Like, writing, like, little folk songs and, you know, very, like, quite emotional thinking that I was going to be, like, a fucking poet or something. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, yeah, I didn't start, like, playing in really proper, like, seriously playing in bands until I moved over to Sydney. I, You know, I had, like, high school, like, little thrash bands and stuff. But, mm. um, yeah, it wasn't anything that was kind of, um, you know, like a proper go to practice a couple times a week or three times a week until mm. until I moved over to Sydney. And when did you move to Sydney? What was the thing that prompted you? I actually moved over on New Year's Eve on, like, such a whim and I just literally just like packed everything up yeah flew to Sydney and then was just like yes this is it and then um I I like hadn't even told my my mum that I'd done it I sort of just rang her from Sydney like you know a couple of weeks later and I was like by the way I've like I've moved <laughs> yeah, yeah um you know and it was like such I guess at the time it was just such a you know could have really really not worked out and it took a long time for for me to kind of find my feet there and mm. also just being so young like I you know I was quite like a shy 21 year old I think so moving to somewhere that's like for a, for a kid from the country that's like a big bustling city um and if you don't have like a great deal of self-confidence it, it took took a little while before I kind of made like a little friendship network and stuff but you know when you look back that those kind of decisions that you've made in your life you think like how kind of important they were to how you know to where you are now I think. Let's talk a bit about your band Dark Bells so that you formed mm -hmm. that whilst you were in Sydney and that um, was what instigated your move to London. Yes so we um, it was myself and another guy called Ash Moss and uh, he was playing he had he used to have a band called the Mercy Arms and they was you know, they they were around their time. I think it was probably around like two thousand and six, two thousand and seven and they were um they were like getting quite popular, I think. And they were, they were a really great band. And then so Ash and I started Dark Bells, which was really just like, you know, we were we had become really great friends and had like musical interests and um so we just like started like making songs together and it was all really kind of um, you know, naive and honest and um, and really fun and yeah and then we just started playing out we found like a drummer and it was very kind of um, you know shoegaze um, lots of sort of effects pedals. So how old were you when you moved to London? 26. I think the first month I was just like what have I done like I'd never had like like no security like that like I didn't I had the job that I'd kind of lined up over here I had weirdly um fallen through and I was just like what am I doing like in this city that was like grey and raining and I was like and everything was like so expensive and mm. um yeah but then we um found a little studio um and yeah I used to just like make songs in there and 
And then, yeah, started touring a little bit. It took, yeah, it probably took us like a year or so before we really, um, you know, started started to play quite a lot here. And then can you tell me about the kind of the end of the band and your first foray into DJing and producing? Had you been, had you been doing a bit of DJing on the side? Were you always into producing? Because it's quite a jump sort of, you know, sing a song, write a shoegaze and then fully thinking about where you are now. It's yeah. quite an amazing arc. Yeah, it was, and like I think that um, an important thing to mess to note here is that like I had like zero interest in dance music. Like I liked a bit of like electronica, but I was like so like you know I I just didn't really sort of understand it, and I didn't really understand the like it just felt like I guess it's kind of how like anyone's parents would would hear dance music. Because essentially it was just me and and this other guy who was a bass player, and we, I think the the more that we started touring and we you know we sort of started to get a, a little bit of popularity um, in the UK, and then the more that we were kind of spending time cooped up in a van together, I think the more real, we realised that we weren't really compatible as as friends anymore. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so that kind of it was it was like heartbreaking. Um, but it was it was kind of obviously for the best. Um, so we we split up. We had our last ever show. We played at um, at Glastonbury like maybe four or five years ago now, and we knew that that was kind of going to be the last one. And I thought that's it was a kind of a nice way to to round things off, really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, but it was a fucking disaster of a show. <laughs> I was going to say I was reading. I was doing some uh, some research. On oh yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah. I read that that show didn't go off without a hitch. Yeah, it was yeah full of hitches, actually. Um, and it was just because, you know, we were, like, sort of quite angry at each other by the end of it as well. And I, and I was like, at least we can do this and then I can... And we can sign off it, you know, on a good note. And it was, like, just everything that could have gone wrong. Like, my pedal boards were accidentally left in London and by the people that were meant to be bringing them, and which is you know, basically, like, almost impossible to play. Um, yeah. So, we so had to today we'll run... be doing a, an acoustic set Yeah, yeah. today we're going to be playing the spoons. <laughs> and, and, yeah, so it wasn't quite the, like, um, swan song that I'd hoped for. But also, like... Well, what they it... call a grinding halt. Yeah. <laughs> I was really like, I guess, yeah, I think, I think we should get off now. <laughs> um, and... Uh, you know, I, it was kind of, I guess, quite symbolic that that was, if it had been really great and really special, maybe we would have like flogged the horse for like, you know, a little too long or like, but mm. I was glad that I was just like, well, that was shit. We're done. And then we literally never have been in the same room with each other since, which is kind of crazy. But around that time, because things had been like uncertain and I was very heartbroken about the end of the friendship and the end of the band and um, I had been working at this little bar which in Dalston, which is like super unique. It's like called Ridley Road Market Bar and it has like, it's like a, like a really cheap like cocktail kind of bar. Um, it's the place I always um, have. It's so dangerous for me because my kryptonite is any drink that comes in um, one of those slushy machines. Yes. If there's a thing going around, I look at it and I'm like, oh, this yeah, is not yeah. good. 
they are well, yeah, because they did these those these like frozen oh, drinks, so delicious, like, so delicious, the ginger mojitos, and yeah, and they were great, and they were like a fiver, and I, you know, maybe they still are, and it was just like, you know, there was no one, no one else that was really um doing that kind of a a bargain. Um, in, in East London at the time anyway. But they also, like, they... Um, so it had this, like, little tiny dance floor with, like, a checkered floorboard and um, and just two turntables and, like, just a shitty, like, party PA. And, um, yeah, and people were, like, coming and DJing and I was, like... I, ha- I had a bunch of records that I used to just bring in on the nights when I was working on the bar, like, when it was really quiet and there was no DJ and... Um, and then so I just, like, asked. I sort of just wormed my way into, like, getting a couple of, like, little DJ sets. Um, yes, yeah, so I was going to say, I feel like this leads to your second item of clothing, yes. um, which is the one that represents your career. I think this one is your, I mean, I've seen this T-shirt in action, in the flesh, with a matching um, Daniel Avery T-shirt, um, uh, which oh, is the yeah, Jador yeah, Hardcore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that one I chose, Your Door Hardcore. That's actually a, um, it's a record label from Australia called Soothsayer and they made these really great shirts. The reason that I chose that actually is because I think I've worn that short, I mean you can see by how worn, worn in it is, but I've worn that T-shirt to like more gigs and I've, you know, than I've worn anything else and it just, for me, I it just reminds me of like being on the road and, and um, it's yeah, you know, it's been my favourite shirt for a long time, and it was quite nice because it's like it got a bit of a connection back to Australia as well. Mm. Um, I I have this great picture. I mean, I've sent it to you of you and Dan playing back to back at Glastonbury last year, and you're both yes. wearing. You've got the black one, he's got the yellow one, and it reminds me of that really funny like meme picture. And it's two old people, and one of them, their t-shirt says it's the old um old man and it says if found please return to jan and then the old woman's t-shirt says i am jan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty pretty much uh, us at glastonbury so how did you get from doing coconut beats at ready road market bar to wearing shadow hardcore on the stage <laughs> at glastonbury <laughs> Um, there was several sort of key things which were, you know, I, th- I think if you took any one of them out, I wouldn't, wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But, um, one of them was, there was, uh, I was playing, it was actually on Valentine's Day, like years ago. And I was playing by this, by this point, like we'll fast forward a little bit. By this point I was playing, um, weekly at Ridley Road on the weekends. And it was like quite a big, became like quite a big party and, and then, I had, there was this guy called Joe Shabadoo who managed... What a name. I know, I know. Um, he he was like such a, quite a key part, played quite a key role in um, in sort of the beginnings of my career, I guess. And um, he asked, he came down to watch me play one night and he'd asked me if I would support one of his artists, this like Canadian artist called um, Jacques Green when he came over to London and I was just like, yeah, yeah. So I gave him my details, just expecting, like I had done this a few times, just expecting to never hear anything. And then the next day he was like, followed it up. And and then, so that went on to be my first ever like gig, like I guess official gig. Um, and it was in this like little uh, sort of like warehousey space in Brixton. Um, and it was like, again, I was just absolutely petrified. I'd never played anywhere that had like subs or, you know, and I and I just rocked up with, like, a collection of, like, you know, uh, like, 
North African and like disco and like North African records and like disco and Turkish psych and nothing was like I certainly wasn't even playing like house or anything then. But yeah, and it, and sonically, it probably wasn't a, wasn't the best fit. But they everyone seemed to really like it, and so they booked me more and more, and then that led me to supporting him in Phonox, which I went on to have. They offered me um, not long after that. They offered me to be their weekend resident. I really, really started to really, really love it, and and it seemed to more than playing the guitar. I I feel like I just talked to it quite naturally and. And um, the more I did it, the more I loved it. And it was like this whole new world of music that I had never been interested in, that I felt like someone had just, like, unlocked the door to how, like, psychedelic it actually was. Mm. Um, yeah, and then I think there was something in that kind of naive energy that people really liked. And, and so I started getting booked more and more for, for parties, like, you know, around the UK and then around um, around Europe. And, and then here we are. Um and what what would you say are the sort of main lessons that you learned during your time? Because you were at Phonox, um, you did your residency <clears> there for two years. Um, yes. What was some um, some lessons? Um, I mean, I learned like I learned. I obviously like learned so much about like the craft and and like playing because I played for six hours every week by myself. Um, so I have a question for you. What do you do when you need to go to the loo? <laughs> Everyone always asks that. Well, I just like, like, you know, there was, do you just there not was, pee? Is that? Well, it's, I mean, some some nights. But I think I, there was that green room that had like a little toilet in there, which was quite close to the to the booth. So I used to just get, if it was really busy, I'd just like run with like one of the security guards that sort of like push their way through the crowd so you could get to the bathroom. So um, you have to time, you have to put on like a really long track. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah you've on. always got like your bathroom track, <laughs> but um, yeah, like have a quick ciggy in the in the green room. There was there was a point where um, they, the people who who owned the club were, um, we sort of butted heads about. They thought that maybe I was playing a little bit too hard, or like they they wanted me to play sort of more like sunny disco, and you know, like upbeat house kind of tunes and they wanted mm. it to be like party vibes and I was like, yeah, but like I'm here so long every week. Like I'm, yeah, I, th I think that, that people do want to hear something more interesting that that's going to keep, I was like, I'm, you know, I, I really trusted my, my, I was confident in my ability to, to keep people sort of locked in for a long time and I, and I just didn't think that it, it needed to just rely on playing um, the same kind of disco tracks every week. That was one of the biggest lessons that I learned was when I like actively made that decision to to really go with what I thought was going to work and um, I feel like I don't know if it was just a coincidence but that was like a huge turning point in my career. Mm. Yeah. You also have an amazing knack for dropping very unexpected tunes in your sets. Yes, and uh, I think I remember your last the last night ever at Phonox when you dropped the Enya. Ah, yeah. Oh my god! It was, and it was <laughs> incredible. I mean, like in the middle of this really heavy techno set, it's like what two or three a.m. and all of a yeah, sudden yeah. sail away. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> I want you to talk through a bit of what sort of what goes through your mind and how you know that it's the right moment to be like, you know what? These guys have been listening to like heavy chunky beats for four hours, and now yeah. it's time to give them some Fleetwood Mac. Well, uh, I think it's there's always like a, a it's, what do they call it risk versus reward that um, I would all whenever I would do something like that 
I would like turn to, you know, whoever my power was in the booth and just be like, I'm about to take a bit of a risk, like have my back if it doesn't work out. <laughs> so there was, there's always like a level of anxiety that, a level of anxiety that comes with those. I kind of, I really liked doing that. I, there had been a couple of times where I had absolutely flopped where I didn't. I think um, at a festival once I played uh, Little April Showers, you know, that song from Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that I love that so much. But yeah, I played it like in the in the middle of a set in a, at a festival, and it was not it was not the reaction I thought. <laughs> do you see everyone's you know when dogs are confused and they do that thing where they sort of turn their head like what? Yeah, yeah. Like the entire crowd of two thousand people like what? <laughs> yeah, fully. And I think the thing with those kind of crowds as well, like it's so. There's so many other options of people that they can see that if you like lose people's interest for like a minute, your toast kind of thing. So moving on to your next item of clothing, um, this is the piece that made you feel a part of something. Yes. Oh, yeah, the, the T-shirt. So the, this piece is, uh, um, it was actually sent to me, it's like a white T-shirt and it says, it says, I am a, female producer and the female bit is like scribbled out and so it just says I am a producer that's what it says isn't it um I get sent like a lot of music from producers that are like oh I just wanted you to listen to this or you know wondering if you would ever play it out or whatever but I noticed there was like such a huge difference like 90% of it was was coming from young guys and I don't have a problem with that at all like I, you know I want to nurture any good music that's coming out but I was like I know that there's like young girls making music but I just don't think that they have the confidence to like reach out to people because I did I I know what I was like I was petrified to like to reach out to anyone when I was um when I was first making like dance music Mm. yeah because you have started with um the dear Miss Alice Pelly um uh you started Radical New Theory which is a new record label um, yes. It started because I had a show on Radio 1 for a year, um, like a residency on Radio 1, and, again, I was just getting sent so much unreleased music. And I was just like, there was so much of it that was, like, so, so good. And I I would always write back and I'm like, I, I just actually really scratched my head, like, that no one had, no one else had really heard this before or no one had put it out or... Um, and so I kind of just felt like it was people needed to hear it and you know beyond me playing it on like national radio that's just like a one-off I was like you know I want I I want this to like these tunes to to be heard by more people so yeah that was why we started the label just to I wanted it to be kind of like yeah like a tastemaker label so and we will only release like you know do the first release for the artist and then with the hope that another bigger label that you know can put can put a bit more backing into it or with a bigger platform can like nurture them from there so so I think I want to move on to your next item which is a piece that reminds you of a great party so this is your football shirt that says (laughs) hi one on it Yes. That For anyone was... that hasn't clocked yet, hi is obviously your DJ name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or rather, Tennille um, is your real name. Yes, true, true. Both, both correct. Um, that one is, it's like a football jersey that my, that I got given it, um, by the guys who own Phonox. I think it was like for the first birthday or something. And it just, um, it, I mean, that party, and there were so many just like in, incredible nights in that club. 
Um, but yeah, I remember having that, uh, wearing that football shirt the whole time. And it was like, I just felt like it was so nice. And I was like, felt really special to wear. And I remember like the party was just like so, so wild that I, um, you know, in Fonox, like the back, the wall behind the DJ booth was kind of like, I guess it was done for like, you know, acoustics, um, was this kind of like almost like moulded like concrete kind of panels. Yeah. Um, which I got really drunk when I was playing that night and like just climbed up <laughs> like <gasps> mid set, like climbed up the like literally climbed up the wall. <laughs> and then when the it was if I think about it it's a bit tragic, I guess, but um like when the the track like dropped, I like jumped down into the booth. <laughs> I have a really funny quote that I found. Um so The Guardian, I don't know if you've read this, but they described your EP as a bolshy collection of vibrant face melters taking in big room breaks, shards of trance, playful samples inspired by your travels and punishing <laughs> beats that could crack bones under a strobe light at 6am. Like, I have never heard this before. <laughs> I love that. Um, That's amazing. That's, I'll, I'll take that. It's better how than would, some of the reviews it got. <laughs> how would you describe your music? Um, I mean, f- took the words right out of my mouth, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's actually a tough one. I'm never really quite sure where to put it because it doesn't really sit kind of in one bracket. And especially because I'm just about to release, uh, well, in the next couple of months, I guess, um, about to release another EP, which is... Um, there's definitely like some. I think you've heard it actually, haven't you? I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I'll pretend like um, a, for the sake of the show, I'll be yeah, like, yeah. Tell us more. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like one half of it is like more like sort of club driven and and quite heavy and and broken and and then uh, the first half of it is sort of like more music to listen to at home and and I thought it was it was nice to do something that's a bit slower. So that will confuse the the sort of genre. Um, well that's something else I want to talk about so you make increasingly quite sort of like heavy techno Mm -hmm. and yeah you're a very funny person and very happy (laughs) and kind of optimistic and silly and how like how would you say those two sides of your personality or sort of your work and your personality how do they intertwine how do they balance one another out um, this is actually quite funny that you say that because I was talking to a friend of mine who I, her name's, C- she's DJ as well, her name's CC Disco. And, uh, I, 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 I always send her tracks when I'm, when I'm finished with them. And, um, and the other day when I sent her some of the newer, like harder ones, she was just like, I don't get it, man. Like you're so like upbeat and, and happy usually, but like what goes on inside that head? And I was like. I never really thought about it like that, but I always say because obviously I don't make techno. Um, but if I do, I'll be sure to send it to you, and I'll expect yes. to release some radical new theory. Yeah, thank you. Um, no problem. Done, done. Um, but people always say, you know, because I have similar personality where I'm quite silly and quite like lol. Um, yeah. But then I like really heavy techno. People are like I don't understand how you like heavy techno, and I always say it's kind of like um, it's like a deep tissue massage for my brain. It sort of ties 100%. itself in all these knots. Probably most yeah. of the time, just like trying to think of puns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get yeah, so it's nice to give it a and little then break. Chunky beats come on, and it's like, boosh, 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 yeah. boosh. it feels like sort of massaging out all of the knots and sort of yeah. resetting me to point zero. Now the next piece, I mean, I suppose maybe a high is sort of 
the same category as a great party when you're a DJ, but the piece that you've picked is something that reminds you of a high. So this is a blue and yellow worker jacket that says peace, love and having fun <laughs> in yellow writing on the back. So yeah. if you'd like to elaborate on this piece. This um, this piece I got in Lyon, in Lyon, in uh, France. <laughs> Lyon. And Lyon. S'il vous plaît, la prononciation, c'est très important. Yeah. <laughs> not, the, uh, not the place where you can go and get a, um, what is it, like breakfast in a cup in their cafe. <laughs> Hummus in a cup. Big breakfast in a cup, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this was my, the, the last, one of the last shows that I did was in Lyon um, before everything got cancelled. And I stayed in, I played this like excellent club called La Souk. Um, and I was playing all night long and I, the, I love this hotel that I was staying in and it's, it's called the MOB. Anyway, so I walked into the hotel and I was like so excited to play this club and just to be back in Lyon. And I had like a lot of friends there. And um, as I walked into the, into the hotel, I think I'd been on the road for a couple of days as well. So I was probably like a bit thin on the ground for like fresh clothes. <laughs> um, and I saw this jacket, like as soon as I walked in, cause the lobby, they sell all this like kind of like quirky bits. And, um, so I was like, Oh wicked, I'm going to get this jacket. It's like so cool. And I liked the little message on the back was kind of fun. Um, anyway, so I went up to the hotel, like freshened up and then took myself down. They always give you like an artist dinner. And, um, and so I just had like dinner down in, walked down into the hotel restaurant by myself. And, um, I was like, I want to wear this new jacket because it was like, so I felt like, I was like, I'll feel really cool and really nice. And, you know, it's a nice thing to do for dinner. So anyway, so I put this jacket on, freshened up, gone downstairs into the hotel and, um, they've taken me to my seat. But as soon as I looked around, um, I realized that it was actually like the staff uniform, which... <laughs> And so everyone that worked in the restaurant was also wearing this jacket. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. And which I think, it, you know, it would have been a lot easier to um, get on board with if I had like a mate with me. But because I was like, I just really had to like hold it down. <laughs> so I just sat down in the seat, and, like put my, took my jacket off and just like put it over the, the chair. And the guy, like, I think the guy that was looking after me there was like, could tell in my face that I was just like, let's just not talk about this. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Better than um, I remember a restaurant I worked in in Sydney, I had to wear, it was called House of Crabs and it was like a crab shack. And I, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I had to wear a T-shirt that said, um, you'll get more than just crabs. <laughs> so that's always a fun T-shirt to commute to work in, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you have a, quite a distinctive sense of style. Um, and I'm interested to know, obviously, when you're DJing, you're DJing long sets. It's, you know, it's a very physical job. I mean, you yes. certainly like waving your arms around and sort of you need something that is practical but also obviously you want something that makes you feel good and that evokes your mood and your sort of persona um how would you say do you consciously pick like what you're going to wear how does it affect your mood and your performance um yeah I think there's definitely like things like items of clothing that I would wear that made me feel a bit more like in you know, prepared to, to go out in front of a lot of people, I think. Um, yeah, there was, I think, but also like the, the more that I was traveling, it was very much like designed around comfort as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, there was definitely like some, 
some like I think I I sort of I started to really enjoy wearing like baggier like you know quite bright sort of clothes I think number one because it was comfortable number two because I thought it looked like pretty nice and fun and (laughs) yeah how has your style changed since you started DJing has it changed or oh immensely I used to well because I used to play in a shoegaze band I used to wear like velvet like two-piece suits (laughs) um and now I'm like yeah now I you know lots lots of sort of big bright patterns and and stuff so it's yes it's completely done a done a 180 I think do you have a favorite brand um oh many oh there's a there's a really great um label from australia called double rainbow who send me lots of bits and they're like i really love their their clothes but then i also like really love like um for like sort of bigger european stuff i really love like dries van noten really really love dries Dries stuff Mm. um yeah Dries PR, if you're listening, send a couple of yeah, give me, give me, give send me some bits. <laughs> no, this is yeah, really I just always... an opportunity for you to list all the brands you like, and then I'll try and make sure that the someone from the brand listens to the thing. They're like, oh, we should send a, we should send and globes. Yeah, <laughs> actually, one of the um, one of, and I'm sure we'll get to it soon. One of the one of the pieces, I think it was like for the one that got away or something, is a is a Dries top. Yeah, that so I chose um, for today. You're getting ahead of yourself. It's, yeah, sorry. We've sorry. got to do... Got to do we can, no, no, can no, cut it's that fine. out if you want. Um, it's more me. I'm like, oh, fuck. How, how, do, I, how do I moderate yeah, the how show? Do we bridge it? <laughs> we've got one piece too soon. Do I'm it too know, soon. We're still going to talk about two more. <laughs> um, it's merely a sign of my own ineptitude as a host, but I, I can't flex <laughs> to accommodate the fact that we might mention a different piece of clothing. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're getting getting closer to the mysterious Dries Van Noten t-shirt that all of... All of you listeners are going to pretend like you haven't heard about when yeah, she mentions yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Damn, I've done the big reveal too soon. Is, uh, oh, God, I know. Um, is the piece that, well, this is probably a bit, um, a bit more of a sad story. The piece that reminds you of a low. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just Did bring you the mood down. Seems like we're getting too cheerful this. on here. Basically, it's like, there's so many reasons that this is, that I chose this one, but it's like this jumper that I was given, like, from a friend that works worked in this, like, old, you know, like like trade or like a vintage old sort of like secondhand shop, secondhand clothes shop, um, and it's just like a really sort of grubby old like sloppy Joe kind of sweater thing that embroidered on the front says "Sup girls, I'm a DJ." <laughs> Um, and I mean, there's so much, it's, I think it's like such a funny jumper, but like one of the things, obviously the low is like the fact that I don't really have a career right now. (laughs) So the irony in me owning that jumper is like quite funny. Um, and it's just like, there's so much like if the, just the colors of of the jumper are like really, it's like a really weird sort of grubby dark blue and the embroidery is like this really sort of weird like sort of shitty pink and you know there's nothing about it that's like really nice but I just think it's like so funny but I just every time I wear it I just feel like such a sack of shit (laughs) it's a real it's I think it's I've seen I've even worn that jumper and I love it I think it even has a little I think it has a little hole on the front as well I think someone's accidentally cut it's like in the front and the back it's like someone and it came like this (laughs) someone's accidentally like cut through it like it's got like quite clear like scissor marks in it Oh, God. Yeah, it is, it is. It's kind of an amazing sweater, but I know what you mean. It's kind of got a bit of like a Devo energy to it. Yeah, fully. And especially like now, like Alice pulled it out of the cupboard the other day and I was just like, oh, tra- 
much. <laughs> I mean, you say this, but you already mentioned you're about to drop this fire EP very soon. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you yeah. can wear your jumper with pride once that comes out. You're like, fuck you guys. Sup, yeah, girls? Yeah. I am fuck, a DJ. Fuck you, sup, I'm a DJ. She's like stitched up the holes and dyed it a different colour. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'm a DJ, bitches. She's back. <laughs> she's back. Okay, so something very serious that I want to mention before we get on to your last item or two, even though yeah. we've already revealed one of them. My spoiled um, item. Is the concept... I mean, this is something that we both have in common. We both suffer from an ailment that you actually sort of self-diagnosed in yourself and diagnosed in me too, which is, I don't know the correct pronunciation, Witzelzucht, oh, which yes. is a German <laughs> yeah, word. Say it. That means joking addiction. Yes. Um, and on Wikipedia, it says, is a set of pure and rare neurological symptoms characterised by a tendency to make puns. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. I mean, as I said before, I think maybe the thing we have in common in terms of us both loving techno is the fact that we spend so much of our days um, thinking about puns and making puns and... You got any fave I puns? Actually, have I got any in the canon? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, when is your joke book coming out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things that it was like. It. I had. I remember when I was like the friend that I moved over to. Um, my best friend that was living in Sydney that I sort of moved over. Um, you know, to to be closer to was. Um, she was. She was. She's like a real sort of bookworm and um you know loves she's got like a really interesting brain I think but she is like same as us like addicted to puns and it would get to a point where I was like the puns were so good and going on for so long that outside of that I couldn't like it, it you know in, in these particular nights like outside of that I couldn't hold a normal conversation because <laughs> I was just like and there would just we would end up being in situations where we no one else would want to have a chat with us because we were just, like, making jokes. Okay, well, the last, the last piece, I mean... Yeah, sorry, spoiler alert. You've already blown your load on that yeah. one. <laughs> the one that I got away. Wait. I just couldn't wait. What could it be? I didn't want to let it get away twice, so there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, as we mentioned earlier, the final one is um, a Dries Van Noten. It's a T-shirt, actually. I got it for I played um it was like one of the one of the like biggest shows that I ever had done was last year at Sonar. I was playing for like 20,000 people which was I was like I really wanted to have um it, I guess it was like the first time that I ever felt like I probably could like treat myself to buying something that was um buying something that, that that was really nice and so I went into Liberties to have a little look and I found this this shirt and I got got it with some really nice trousers and then I went on tour to Australia and I fucking left it there. Do you have a favourite show that you've ever played? I would say I've, I would say I've probably got like a top five. When you think back to it and kind of where things are at now and like you know for the time being um, and the fact like I, I really really miss touring a lot mm. and um when I think back to it, I was like, I, but I knew at the time that like I really soaked every bit of joy out of that because I just loved it so much. And, and I feel like, um, I feel like I was really like, I'm, I'm grateful for what it was. And I felt like I was, I was really like, 
I'm glad that I never really took it for granted because I knew like, you know, things, I guess things can sort of come and go in a heartbeat. Um, but yeah, I really, I really hope that um, it's not too long before we can, can get back and party again. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that we've all learned is to never, ever leave the club early. Ever. Alrighty, Tanil, I think that's a great place to finish. Ah, um, thank you. Thank you for indulging us with your threads of conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. It's great. <laughs>